You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Selling Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for your Boston Celtics. I'm Justin, he's John, and we're here to talk about, well, better things since the last time we talked, John. Celtics are on a roll. They're rolling, baby. It's <laughs> they crazy. Rolling. I mean, we were where we were, uh, you know, last time it was things were weren't real rough, you know, but uh you know, you you know, run off three wins and now you're sitting at six and three, you know, and you're, you know, just a, a game and a half back of first place, although Philly just won tonight. I know Philly's playing tonight against uh, um, against the good old Nets. So uh, Nets wearing their old their old unis tonight, which is kind of fun. That game's still going on, but um, anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, game and a half back, and uh, you know we'll see. Uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Could could this start have gone any better? You know, uh, all things considered. Yes. Yes, they could have beat Detroit. They could have beat Detroit. That's the one loss. No, I agree. I agree. Like, honestly, no. You're going to lose games like that. But that first loss to to Detroit, uh, unnecessary. But outside of that, you're absolutely right. I don't think so. Tough tough start to the season. Definitely playing some of the top-tier teams. And if you're asking me if the season could have gotten to a better start in reference to the Nets, no way, dude. No way. I realize we lost to them. But I just I I can see this one coming a mile away. Yeah, I mean I I think in terms of record, I mean I I was anticipating 500. Honestly, um, I was anticipating you know just some really rough games. There's just times when you just don't have it that night. You know what I mean? And uh, so much is is on the backs of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that I thought. Well, you know, I mean, look, he got a really tough schedule, really, really tough. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think we really talked enough in the in second the, shortest off season. season. Absolutely, you know, and and your who you're playing is just insane. Uh, and and then you're you're on the road so much and all this. I mean, just it seemed like it was a it was a recipe for 
Um, like I said, a 500 start, uh, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of questions of, you know, why isn't Grant Williams doing this and why isn't, you know, so-and-so doing that. We do, and instead, we do have to talk about it, though. Grant's got to be in the starting lineup, right? Like this Tice, this, this Tice and Thompson thing isn't providing enough spacing. And I'm not saying that Grant's a lights out three point shooter as evidenced by this time last year, but he's still better than Tice. You know, well, even when I, Tice gets one, yeah. he, mix, he misses the next three. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, it doesn't work. I think it's a necessity though at this point. I really don't know. It was our prediction too. I mean, I, yeah. I, I remember that's what we thought would happen. I just don't see that one that they have a bench that they can rely on. I, I saw you know, we saw a little bit against Miami where they went a little bit with Grant and Shemi playing together, which was you know um, surprising. It's not something we probably would have thought going into the season. You'd see too many of those lineups. Uh, really look at those guys as an either or. But you know if you're gonna try to get Rob and Tristan and uh, you know Tice minutes, I, I don't see how else you you really make it happen unless you have some minutes of overlap with, you know, uh, some combination of two out of those three at some point in the, in the game. So I, they're bad lineups. I don't like them. I think in the long run, you know, they're not going to work that well, but I also, you know, you also kind of wonder when you get to the playoffs, you know, and you're playing against big teams, it, it certainly, I think worked well against my, you know, uh, not Miami, but uh, a little against Miami, but, but certainly against Milwaukee, uh, and you play LA, I, you've got to be prepared for these big lineups. And will it work? You know, do you want Jason Tatum guarding, you know, LeBron? Do you want Jason Tatum guarding, uh, you know, Anthony Davis? That's that's really questionable, I think. Mm, yeah, I, he's a good player. I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad player. I'm just saying, do you want him having to basically be your best player scoring? And your guy who's defending their guy who's a lot stronger and bigger. I, that's that's why I think playing up makes some sense and gains some comfort with that early in the season. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, do you could you go small? Can you get away with Grant in that spot? I mean, Grant has looked better of late, certainly since I think the. Uh, the second was it the second Detroit game or maybe it was the Toronto game where he started to come out of that shell a little bit. He really had a rough start. Started to look good. Chevy's looked really good. Great, yeah. Uh, it was just, that was like the logical you know. next comment coming on the heels of that. You know, Chevy had a really good outing and then he had kind of an ugly one and then he's been great again ever since then. I can't remember where the ugly one was. You know, in between his first like, hey, I think he's getting it, which is really surprising to me because I. I I don't want to say he was a lost cause, but I definitely thought he was a lost in the shuffle. That, that's where close. I thought this was going to yeah. go. Yeah. And and you look at, you know, the draft and you look at uh, Naismith and you, you say to yourself, well, that's kind of the writing on the wall. They got to develop that guy. And you and I talked about that. But and, and what a great rebounder, though. <laughs> Seriously great at boxing out. But his shot isn't falling yet. And get, oh, guess who's is? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Shemmy's is falling. <laughs> and it's funny because I feel like we watched it, – it's not like Naismith's missing hugely. It's kind of just hitting the rim and kind of bouncing out most of the time. That was Shemmy for the last few years. Um, yeah. But all of a sudden he's splashing him. So there you are. 
I Shemi, I mean, he's shooting almost 43% right now from three point land um, on, on two and a half, 2.6 attempts a game. He had the D uh, and now he has the three that he know. does. And, and the thing is, you know, I is mean, without both, yeah, he's not playable. So it's but great you know, to see him get it. Look, you know, the funny thing about Shemi, I, I think as well is it felt like the first few years or the first year or two, he was here he was really like, okay, go out there and just stop Giannis. Like, that was basically yeah. his only job <laughs> the whole so time. That's so funny. The right? only thing that came to mind about value, if he couldn't hit the three, was, well, we always have him when there's Giannis. That's exactly what ran through. You got the MVP. He could slow down. Other than that, you know. But Which what is I pretty think, valuable in spot. It is. In a, it in, is. A, in a playoff series when you're tired. We thought we were really going to need him last year. Clearly, we didn't. But that was a, that was uh yeah you're right extremely valuable even as a one trick pony. I mean I think but I think that there's a yeah so I mean I think you got that but also I mean here's the thing with Shemi I think one thing we've seen him do is that you know, he said this in his uh, pregame uh, availability I think yesterday he said you know I'm mentally I made a lot you know because there's always a lot of talk about how he he was such a hard worker and he you know he's you know, throwing the medicine ball against the wall. We've heard all those stories. Oh, dude, times. he's an absolute but beast. Yeah, he is. But what he, I think, the issue was, and he was a, he was a, like a twenty-point scorer in college. This isn't a guy who was like, uh, you know, a five rebound, you know, six, you know, you know, five point guy. I mean, he was, he was the guy who filled it up as, at SMU, not so much at Duke. But what he was able to do, I think, this year is I think he just kind of stopped caring, stopped worrying about it, and just playing. And we've seen him on the break a little bit more. We've seen him try to Euro. Not exactly the most fluid of motions, but we've seen him try to do some other things and try to get involved and engaged beyond just standing in the corner waiting. It felt like the first few years for Shemi, he's been, like, letting – like he's been trying to like um, let it come to him, and now I feel like he's trying to make things happen, not in a way that's like disruptive. No, either. I just, get what you're saying. Like he's fitting into it, and he's an active participant in the game, as opposed to just waiting and letting things. It's kind of like his defense against Giannis. He would just stand there, move to where he was going, and get in his way. Now it's like he's beating the challenge, you know. And I think that's that's great. Um. I'm overjoyed at it. He's, he's, I think, a little bit more mentally confident, and he's using that to kind of fuel other parts of his game. So he's not just, you know, the guy who stands in the corner and waits for other things to happen. Um, so let's hope that, that this is the year for him because he has put a lot of work in. He has improved himself, and Lord knows they need, you know, they're going to need, uh, you know, a bench of guys who can hit an open shot and defend, you know, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you can't talk about draft picks and surprise play without talking about Peyton Pritchard, dude. <laughs> I mean, like the 23 points totally. and then the game winner put back. By the way, Miami not boxing him out on that final play of the game is a total reason why they have the record they have right now. There's just a slight lack of attention to detail, and we see this after 
teams go to the finals, right? They're exhausted. But this offseason was even shorter. Like, I'm not surprised to see this at all. They've also, they lost Jay Crowder. Although, interestingly, they pick up Avery Bradley. That was kind of a funny one-for-one swap in my mind. You know, two, <laughs> two dogged defenders with some three-point shooting ability. Hey, on the heels of Shemi Ojale there in that conversation. But, uh, but don't, you know, it's kind of interesting to see it. But there is just a mental uh, tiredness there on the key uh, detail elements that I feel like they totally had locked down. And it's funny because when you listen to the broadcast, you know, I've heard Mike and Scal talk about this a lot. They'll tell you this stat and, and it was ESPN, I think during the, actually during the Miami game, but I've heard all the announcers saying this. Um, I heard them say it about Toronto during that game. Oh, they've used a lot of different starting lineups. Kind of seems like they're still trying to find their way with the rotation. I mean, (laughs) Boston's (laughs) kind of been that way, but not necessarily the starting lineup. But I've heard that narrative across the NBA, and I'm not surprised because of the shortened offseason and the lack of training camp and the fact that there's been some roster tweaking. And anytime you take somebody out of a certain role, you got to find the new mix and match that works. But watching Peyton Pritchard be able to come in and get that rebound and put it back, um, I'm not trying to disparage Peyton because I love – dude, he's just so alert and so much under self-control. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that he's having success, but at the same time, there's no way he should have ever been able to make that play. That should have gone to overtime. And uh, it just was a total mess on Miami's part. And they had lots of misses during that game. So it's not a resounding win for the Celtics. It was definitely a resounding start to the game, but not a resounding win. But overall, an exciting game. I've enjoyed watching them get better and better at closing games out and not necessarily being reliant on the Jason Tatum only parking out, you know, one and a half steps beyond the three-point line and trying to sidestep into enough space to win the game. I, I, I was very critical of that a week ago and very yes. frustrated by it. And from that point on, I saw offensive versatility and complexity at the end of games, and it made, it's made me very, very happy. So... Um, but anyway, not to disparage Peyton on the, the end of the game play there, but I can tell you in watching him just in the preseason, you and I blew him up a little bit. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, and, and before I say this, let me caveat, I'm not uh-huh. saying they're the same because they are not the same. Okay. But there's a quality that was the same for me. And it's not even the same sport. If you remember Tom Brady in that first season, no, 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 no. I know you're going to laugh, and I know other people are going to laugh, but hear me out on the – that's why I had to put the big asterisks before I started this. There's one quality. There's just one. It is laughable because he's not going to be Tom Brady the NBA. He's not. That's not what I'm saying. But there was a thing about Tom Brady as a young player, you know, second year getting thrust into that starting role. There was a composure. That's the part I want to make. There was a composure under pressure in the pocket that was better than what Bledsoe was doing. Bledsoe was erratic under pressure. And 
you know, might they have been able to manage that over time if Brady hadn't wound up having that opportunity improving himself and we might never have even heard of Tom Brady? Yeah, absolutely that could have happened. But in the early going, there was a composure that you could see in Peyton Pritchard. He is so comfortable dribbling into the defense, taking Maybe what should have been, what should be fouls at times in terms of contact while he's dribbling the ball and he never loses focus. He never loses the ability to see the court a couple of times, but, um, but he rarely does. That's just really, I don't care about the four years in college part of that. You know, his fight and his composure. You know, are part of the reason he's having this success. You know, if he were to become the number one option or a number two option, they would definitely limit him because they'd be throwing doubles at him, and he wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't be able to create that. He wouldn't be able to do that, and that's where he's not Tom Brady. But but the composure with the ball in his hands and uh, not putting his head up his butt under pressure is like definitely a comparative. I no I okay so I get it. <laughs> you're making fun of me. You're it. like stopping and literally saying you get it. That's cool. All right. I get it. I get it. I because I think that he has. Uh, I'm not going to say he's Tom Brady, but I I will say that he his composure and his confidence uh, is Brady. Are it's well, I'll go with impressive. <laughs> Maybe I'll get there, but I'm not there quite yet. But You'll I, get but there, I know exactly dude. what you're saying, though. I because there is a there's a sense of like when he's out there, it's like he's not he's kind of unflappable. Like he just okay, I'm doing my thing and I'm doing this and then this and then and even when things go wrong, it doesn't feel like he's kind of like, um, you know, that that he's 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 somehow not getting it. And and maybe that's also a reaction to the fact that we've had so many rookies that come out there and they look like, whoa, what's going on? And that's very natural, reasonable approach and nothing that you could be like, you know, well, that guys don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's the vast majority of NBA players that come in and the spot is big for him, but he just, yeah, he just, he has a confidence to him that you know allows everyone else to kind of find their rhythm and and not they told get us. out of control. They told us the the Marcus Smart seal of approval in the early going should have told <laughs> yes. us. Should have yeah, told right. us. Should yeah. have told us because you talk about you know the workers on the team and the character guys and the hustle and and I'm not saying that. Marcus is Kevin Garnett like, you know, Kevin wasn't going to throw nobody any kudos as a young player, right? No. They were going to earn their way. And so I'm not saying that Marcus is going to treat rookies the same way that Kevin did, but he is not going to be throwing out praise right. to a young player like because he nope. knows his role. Not that's not bad. yeah, that's right. Marcus's role is only to give that praise when it's due. And, yeah, that's right. And and he didn't just say, "Yeah, he looks all right." No, no, no. And and I'll point to another thing. When they did the pregame interview with Brad, I can't remember which game it was. They were talking about you know Peyton's you know first decent performance it was a game two maybe. But anyway, he had stepped out of bounds, right? And Brad's like, "Yeah, you know, I joked with him. You know, you're doing pretty good, but 
you know, you got to stay in bounds or something like that. And I was like, the fact that he's joking about that too says a lot about their trust in not his, not their trust, their understanding of his confidence. Because a coach says something like that to a young rookie who's still feeling not confident, not established, and awkward. You know, Brad's smart enough to know that that could really, you know, put a rookie in a funk, right? Even though he's kidding, even though he's teasing. Right. You know, that that could put a young player in a funk. And that's how much they understand who Peyton Pritchard is. Um, and I realized, you know, Brad smiled and joked and everything else. But he knows this game is a rhythm game. And that could have gotten in Peyton's head, and it didn't. And and I think so, that's a statement. I, I, I think so. I, I think that I this so this is kind of like the next thing in this for me. And it's something that. I was really more on my mind when things were not going well, but, but I think it's still an important conversation or question, which is, okay. So the Suns have had a lot of draft picks from middle of the first round and after over the last four or five years. Right. And apart from, you know, that, you know, the, 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 uh, the 16 or, well, I'm just saying, okay. So yeah, the Selly, uh, and R.J. Hunter, James Young, those drafts, right? Um, let's put those aside for just a second. It may be important, but just aside for a second. But the last two, at least, number of picks, but not a lot of opportunities for young players to play. And, you know, part of what I think what we're seeing right now, my own personal feeling, is that part of the reason why this is working out, why guys are starting to find a rhythm, starting to show something, is that they're having opportunities to work through mistakes, you know? And I'm not saying that R.J. Hunter would have been a player if he'd had more opportunity. I'm not saying, you know, that Carson Edwards would have, But, you know, Carson Edwards looked a hell of a lot better in those 10 minutes against Miami than he did at any point last year when he never really had opportunity to get out there. And I just wonder how much of this, you know, this kind of black mark um, that's been placed on Danny Ainge's ability to draft, already difficult positions to draft in the, in the draft. I wonder how much of that is based upon that. How much is based upon the fact that the Suns, you know, have not had opportunities, have not given opportunities, you know, to some of these young guys, and they haven't been able to kind of work through these issues. I think they have, you know, and, and, you know, last season, I feel like Carson Edwards got opportunity, you know, um, Tremont did not get as much opportunity, but I can tell you, everybody knows this in professional sports. The window of opportunity is short. It's what you do with it. And I just feel like, we recognize this, and Marcus Smart recognized this in Peyton Pritchard in preseason with a, with almost no training camp, yep. and yet we all jumped on it. There's an intangible that you can see, and that's my point about Tom. I argued with my buddy Benny Royale, and we were roommates, and he was a diehard <laughs> Bledsoe, and he wasn't coming off of it. And I was like, I'm telling you, man. There's something here. Like, I get it. It's not necessarily 100% in the stats. I, I, but I'm just telling you, if you look and just trust your gut, you see it. I never had that with Carson Edwards. I mean, maybe a little bit in summer, you know, in, in the uh, summer programming, you know. But 
but not once he had a shot in training camp or, you know, the preseason. It was starting to get a little ugly fast for me. And R.J. Hunter, good Lord, you want to talk about not having the confidence. He just didn't have it, you know. Uh, that's where I, that's why I bring up that that factor. Like, I get what you're saying. The opportunities have been limited. You're 100% right. But I think that the opportunities continue to come to players who exude whatever this X factor is that, you know, Pritchard has right now. And it could go south fast. There are things that are going to happen along the way during people's careers. It could go south fast, certainly. But I, I kind of think he's, uh, he's at least a, a guard off the bench for a good long time. Like I told you, and, and, and maybe this was, Maybe this was fed on by everybody kind of crapping on him when he got picked in the draft. But, you know, I said this on the last show. You Typically, when you see a player picked down in the 20s who's a great shooter, who's won tons of accolades in college, typically, if they're picked that low, it's because they don't have the physical attributes to be successful. It's not that they didn't have the mentality or the, or, or the ability, uh, you know, the wherewithal or the skill set. They just don't have the physical abilities to be able to dominate. And that's been the biggest surprise, I think, to everybody who's now seen him play against NBA talent is they didn't realize that he had not everybody knew he had the dribbling ability. They didn't realize that he had the ability to get around the corner. They didn't realize he had the quick decision making. They didn't realize that he could Steve Nash, like dribble in and through the paint and not lose the handle or give up the pass. I mean, sometimes, but, but not often they didn't realize that he had that. And that is the surprise. I, yeah, I think that that's, that's all true. And I think that, you know, as much as skill and size and the tangible things that players have uh, and, and are valued and easily, attri- you know, easy to to you know place in a hierarchy of what's you know what's important and a player's value, it's mindset is is not necessarily in that same is not necessarily as easy to do. Now, mind you, this is a guy, this is a team run by a, a man in Danny Ainge. Who remember uh, had hired the, the brain doctor John Neednagel back in the in the early the early days 2003 2000 when he first got here uh, to brain type these guys and of course he's used you know a lot of different uh, other you know Eric Weiss and we talked about you know a whole bunch of different ways to look at the mental approach to the game and how important that is. And I think you see that in the Peyton Pritchard, who can walk in, maybe his skills, his skill set, certainly his size, um, is not extraordinary. But, but it's not diminutive. And that's the thing about I, no, Carson. No, no. Like, he's got the it's shooting enough. ability. Right. It's enough. That's exactly right. But he has special abilities, I think, mentally in terms of – it's like Larry. I mean, Larry was great. I mean, Larry was – was really good in a lot of areas, but mentally he was just better. His mind was better than anyone else's, and that's why he beat people. It wasn't because he was faster it's or because he was a higher. competitor. He was well, he was a competitor, but a he superior also was smarter than everybody else. A superior, yeah. Competitor. He he could think the game ahead of everyone else, so he was faster. And that's I'm not saying he's Larry either, but 
So we've compared Peyton Pritchard, Larry Bird, and Tom Brady. Oh, boy. Um, the resemblances <laughs> are obvious. Oh, uh, this is Tommy Hindsight is never going to be gone, let me tell you. No, but I mean, but the point, the point that we're making, though, is that the importance of the mental approach is so critical. And that's what so, Tom so Brady had. What? That's what Larry time, had. Time to, time to take this to Jalen Brown. You know, for everything yes. that he was criticized, yes. this was what you're how quickly everyone has adopted that narrative for Peyton Pritchard. But a number yes. three pick in the draft in Jalen Brown, it was described as a negative is, you know, I don't want to feed into certain narratives. Right. But that's a truth. That's a truth. Well, that's a truth in a criticism that came up for Brown just in this scenario. Right. In this scenario, Brown received criticism, almost like he would be distracted by his goals. And I love what Brad Stevens said at the earlier part of the season about that. You know what I mean? Like he wants more and that's a good thing. Right. How great. This is where I want to go with the intellect piece. How great is it that the Boston Celtics don't see Jalen's varied interest as a threat to his ability to be successful in the NBA. Thank you organization, because the reason that he is thriving right now is because you have not stifled him. How many had that narrative coming out of the draft, had he been drafted by a different team who bought into that potentially would have bought into that narrative? How stifled would Jalen Brown have been? How stifled could he have been? And that's yeah, I yeah. I just love that they didn't and can't shoot threes. Bang. Too distracted. Can't be a number <laughs> one scorer. He's one of the most efficient scorers on this team. I mean, I know that everybody wants to make this whole argument between Tatum and Brown and my son, you know, is gonna turn eighteen in April, has kinda yanked me into that. <laughs> Oh, he, goes, no. he wants to take the the Tatum, and I'm like, dude, I love them both. You know, I spied them both <laughs> prior to the draft. They were my first choices, you know, and didn't think I, we would get either one of them for various different reasons. And But if you go back and listen to this show, you'll know that in January, Tatum was the one I wanted. Not because I, I said Fultz was the pick and had to be the pick. But, man, there was a part of me that just wishes it would have wound up being Tatum, and there it happened. You know, well, and then – Nobody wanted Brown, and I wanted Brown. So I'm not buying in. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna feed into the pinning, pinning them against each other. But I told right. my son, Jalen Brown, to this point in the season, has been the most efficient. He's like, yeah, but you want the ball in Tatum's hands at the end of the game. I'm like, listen, man, they all feed off of each other. And yes, Tatum is definitely my primary option. But don't get it twisted. The ball should be in Brown's hands at the end of games. <laughs> and it will benefit the both of them if it is, and he's got it in him to do it, and he absolutely does fight through doubles. And the way he is working that mid-range game to set everything else up, good for you, young man. Good for you. I So, yeah, totally agree um, on so much of that. Uh, Jalen, uh, I mean, I think, uh, which game was it? What was the game that they lost with the, the the other three, which one was that? Was that the first Detroit game? No, yeah, it wasn't the first, the first Detroit, Detroit game. game. Yeah, yeah. Was it the first Detroit game where with the step back, or was it the Indiana? It was Indiana, wasn't it? 
uh, anyway, wait, talking about Jalen or are you talking about Tatum? I'm talking about Tatum. I'm talking about Tatum. Yeah. Step back with 17 seconds. That was Indiana, I think it was it? Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's the thing, right? So I, I, that was there was a whole bunch of issues there. There was, you know, it was the ball wasn't moving. There was a whole bunch of stuff, and Jalen really wasn't getting a shot. He wasn't getting opportunities. Um, I think that was the one where they went 0 for 10 or 1 for 10 in the last four minutes or something. Um, look, or that might have been the Detroit game. The two were kind of, I don't, for whatever reason, those two games kind of, the, the first Indiana game and the first Detroit game kind of blend in. But anyway, um, Jalen absolutely has to be part of the closing situation. Yeah. But to go back to the, the, the mentality thing, the one thing I would say is I don't think – I, I think you're right in terms of Jalen becoming who he is. Absolutely, the Celtics have embraced and and supported his his endeavors. When you know, in a lot of places, and even a city like Boston, that gets real like angsty about stuff sometimes unnecessarily, often unnecessarily. Um, you know, they haven't there hasn't been a whole lot of hullabaloo about him going to Harvard or him going to MIT and talking about stuff. Thankfully, that hasn't happened. Or but, him going I, down to Atlanta and it, leading exactly. the conversation about whether or not they should play. And then Absolutely. being a true leader and saying to the entire league, if you're not going to make use of this time, we right. should friggin' play. And exactly. called out probably the most notable player of his you know, lifetime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I'll be in the first, and I, and I think, it hasn't been said that outright that he did it, but um, certainly to help organize the efforts in the to start the Miami game uh, again, trying to bring highlight and issues that are that are real and and on front of mind for so many players, but being the leader who can bring that to the tour. So credit to the Celtics for not squelching that. Credit to the Celtics for for getting out of the way, but most of all credit to Jalen Brown to say, okay, I'm not good at this. I'm smart, but I, I need to continue to feed my brain and my body and get better and get better and get better. And, you know, the thing to me, the the last piece to me, and you know I've I've come around on Jalen big time over the last two years. You were there, and I've I've come around because I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I'm, I'm there. The last year, I'm sold. I'm totally sold. What what has really kind of pushed pushed this this year, and and I was going into it, I believe he could do it, was this ability to find the open man. He's doing it, he's doing it, and he is he's succeeding with it. So not only is he just un, unstoppable in the mid-range, but he's now finding guys. He didn't have a great shooting night against Miami, but he was he was moving the ball. He was finding open, play, open players. He's creating shots for other guys. And that's like the next level. That's where he's taking his intelligence and he's taking his skills and he's meshing them now into into such a, a motley stew that no one's going to want to defend him. Uh, that's what's impressive to me. I don't think he's really tapped into his intellect on the basketball court as much as he has right now. The hard work, absolutely. But now if he's engaging his brain – on the court the way that he has this year, and he hasn't had an opportunity to do that. Now he's taking advantage of it. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Dude, 
you 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 brought up a really good point. Um, he's using his intellect, but it comes back to that the game slowing down part, and even yes. the way that he waits. This is really what it's almost. There's an intellect piece, but the intellect can't come into play until the patience does. And now he's a patient player. He realizes that he's physically dominant. And so he waits for them to throw the first punch and then he reacts. And he's, mm-hmm. and that's where the intellect is coming in is he knows exactly what he's supposed to do after he sees his opponent make their decision. Not a hundred percent of the time, but you know, look, there's a lot of possessions in the game way more than he used to way more successfully and it's the reason you see him shooting. I can't remember what his best game was recently, but I want to say it was like 14 for 17 or something ridiculous, yeah. you know, yeah. like that yeah. doesn't happen. I realized, you know, he had a big game shooting from outside, but a lot of that stuff is set up from what he's doing inside. And then in the min range, you know, he's, he's really a three level scorer at this point and totally. he's more successful at all levels. And, but, it, but it all starts with the biggest criticism that he had, you know, on draft night, can't shoot the three. And what did he do? He refined his corner three, then he moved it around a little bit. You know, he was driving with his head down to the basket, but it actually started with him correcting the number one criticism that the scouts had on yeah. his game. Isn't that Absolutely. amazing? Because well, isn't that, that first year. At yeah. that. It wasn't yep. even it wasn't even just like, oh, three years later he, he fixed the issue. This isn't like some sort of Jason Kidd situation where it took, you know, five, six, seven years and then oh geez, you gotta guard him out there. No, no, no. He didn't play to his strengths. Like, he, he didn't play to his strengths, he played to the team strategy. That's exactly right. He was a thirty four percent shooter, which is a touch below league average his first season as a twenty year old. He went to 39.5 in his second year. Mm-hmm. I mean, 34 was, I think, was a lot better than what I was expecting. I was expecting yeah. a sub- Based on what we were sold? Yeah, right? but remember, what did they say? Like, he shot over a chair or something? It wasn't that. Yeah, <laughs> it, I'm not talking about ye. <laughs> I know, yeah. But there was yeah. something where he was, they, they kept saying that he was draining threes in his workout with the Celtics. And they were yeah. like, yeah, but he can't shoot threes, you know. Right. It was right. like, well, right. he'd, been, he'd been working, you know. He'd been working leading up to the, you know, to all of the the individual workouts of the NBA teams, you know. And they're like, yeah, but it's totally different when you're in a game, which is true. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think what you see with that with him is, you know, that's what the team gives young players. It was his weakness and and instead of him trying to improve on his advantage, which was his, which would have been his athleticism to attack the basket, instead of him playing to a strength and trying to make that you know more dominant or more effective, he corrected what was considered to be his big weakness, and then actually got criticism for what should have been his strength, and then worked on his strength. And now you see him, you know, honestly, him and Tatum are still getting. The worst treatment by the officials. I mean, I, I won't put them the team. On, on the Tice level. Yeah, the whole team. But they're a young team, and it happens with young teams. That's it why the, I, that's why the Tice factor just rips me to shreds. Like he's the oldest guy on the team, and 
please, would you just give him an MFing break? It's making me bananas. But, hey, you know what? We've been going for almost 40 minutes. I'm going to give our advertiser, betaline.ag, some love. <laughs> Are you ready hey. for some football? College football heads into bowl season, and there are some big matchups this weekend. <laughs> Not for the Patriots. NFL regular season is all over, and the playoff picture has become clear. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and it's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code. You've heard it before, CLNS. 50, that's right, and the 50 stands for 50% off on your welcome bonus, and we're going to be watching Tom Brady, expat, play against a team with no name. (laughs) 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 The football team. So it's going to be the Bucks and the Washington football team. Here we go, folks. Washington's been a little bit of an upstart team this year. They got no chance against Brady, and that's that. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 for 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. John, we got like maybe 20 minutes left in this show. We've been rocking it. We're only talking about two players. I know. Well, three, three, Peyton. Well, I guess no. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just, I was, while you were talking about Jalen, I brought up his, his stats. Right. And so, I mean, I just, I, I read this 26, 26.2 points a game, three, 3.3 assists, five and a half rebounds a game. He's shooting career highs from free throws, career highs from effective, his effective field goal percentage is 60.8%. His three-point percentage is 41.2%. I mean, this guy is just frigging killing it. It's unbelievable what he's doing, you know. And he's so efficient. Uh, Ryan Russillo. He's actually telling for- us in, in those statistics and in his yep. play, I'm okay being the number two option. Oh, P.S., I'm awesome. No, and, and <laughs> do you really want to get rid of me and Smart? To get James Harden, I think this is a sign of saying, "Look, you, you got you got defense, you got everything. Why would you want to do this?" You know, I mean, I, I anyway. But in that regard, so Rosillo had a little show where he does his thing where he takes blind uh, scouting reports. There's three scouts and they weigh in on two two different players to compare them. And they did Jalen and Ben Simmons. Because a lot of people will say, well, Ben Simmons, of course you'd trade him for, you know, Harden. But, you know, you're going to need to throw in more if you're going to throw in J- if it's Jalen for Harden. You're and not trading Jalen for anybody. Well, Get the hell out of I'm here. Not either, but just in terms of an exercise to say, like, who has more value. And two out of the three said Jalen. They picked Jalen over, over Simmons, which I think is really interesting given where, you know, Five, was it five years ago um, when they were both were drafted? You know, it was it was the first two. It was you know it was uh, you know Simmons clearly number one for a lot of a lot of people. Brandon Ingram only uh, you know Kevin O'Connor really thought he should have been ahead of Ben Simmons. And then who's going to be the third pick? And it was like, well, we're kind of screwed because we got the third pick in a two person draft. Well, it may turn out that Jalen Brown is better than all of them. Uh, and, and frankly, I think, and this is the point the scouts are making, 
who would you rather have right now? A guy who maybe great defender but with a little bit more size, but offensively is really, really challenged and someone who you can really easily guard game plan against. What exactly is a three level? What are you going to do with a three level scorer who has incredible athleticism and a growing court sense that um, allows him to find the open man? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, he's a problem. He is a problem right now. And, and I, I don't think I'd take it. I think I would take Ben. I, I wouldn't take Ben Simmons over Jalen Brown. No question. Wait, what? I wouldn't take Jalen Brown over Ben Simmons. Oh, no. I thought you said you would. Sorry. No, Thank I you. <laughs> no, I would, so I'm going to kill you. I would not. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Yeah, no, I would not, under any circumstances, take Jalen Brown or take Ben Simmons over Jalen Brown. Yeah, I'm I'm so out on Ben Simmons to begin with. Yeah. But Jalen is. I, I mean, still like it, him, and you know what? He's such a great fit yeah. for Doc. Like, I guess if there's a conversation here, since we've talked about Jalen so much, and he really is awesome, and Tatum gets so much play, it's okay that we don't talk about him on this episode because he's a phenom. But, um. But, you know, Ben Simmons with Doc is a great fit, but only under one circumstance. Embiid's got to be healthy, <laughs> you know, because if if Embiid isn't healthy, that whole thing falls apart. Yeah, I, I think, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think part of the problems that Simmons has or that he's playing with, with Embiid, the type of player Embiid is, I honestly. I think that's part of the Part of the problem, you know, is that I mean he needs a great player. I'm just not sure that that someone who doesn't really space the floor for him uh, is really the best fit. I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is both guys are hurt by the fact that neither one complements the other well. Conversely, in Boston, our two best players totally complementary. Yeah, completely. You know, and totally willing to pass. You know, it, yes. it, I think the growth between Tatum and Brown, both of them, in their ability. To, as a matter of fact, the early part of the season, I was like, come on, Tatum, what the hell? You know what I mean? Brown Brown would continue to defer, but Tatum wouldn't, and it was really screwing things up. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you wake up, and he's nearly getting triple doubles with assists approaching, you know, 10. And you're like, oh, yep. there it is, you know, and – um, and it's really the key to the success of getting all these younger players involved. They're going to need more open shots because they're not going to get the fouls like we talked about, which means they're not going to get contact uh, called in their favor, all of that. So, yeah. He, uh, you know, I, I think that it's funny. I think we're now at a point where um, – Jalen is becoming appreciated, certainly, for what he's doing. I do think there is a piece, though, of Tatum that he gets unfairly criticized in part. You know, I, I don't know. I, maybe it, maybe I'm just being um, partial, but I do feel like because he's so special, there's an expectation that all the time he should be just destroying people left and right. And I'm just – I'm not sure – when you sit down and you look at the box score at the end of the night, he fills it up. I mean, he fills it up on both sides. You know, he's he's doing a great job defensively. Um, I think that 
the going through contact issue and being able to draw fouls, he's turned that up as late as well. I just think he's a, just a, I think in particular where we are, he's just a slow starter. I think he's just somebody who has to feel his way into the season. And it took a few games for him to kind of find that a little bit. And, and I think he's there. I'm, I mean, I've been really happy with his last three, four games, you know, uh, yeah. like you said, which game was that where they really were doing a lot to take him out? I don't know if that was the second Detroit two games game ago. Or... Two games ago. Yeah. Was it Toronto? I think it, was... I think it might have been Toronto. Uh, yeah. But I, mean, I think it was the second Detroit game in particular where they were running a real simple kind of, um, you know, kind of throwing two guys at him and he was finding Tice in the middle and Tice was making some good decisions. Um, that, I think that was really working well. I just, I feel like Tatum, there's just a higher bar and there's more expected of him because he is so supremely skilled and so supremely talented, uh, that it's just, there's an expectation like, we're not playing at an MVP level. You know? <laughs> it's 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 a really high bar for him, you know. And I think he's he just has a little bit less maturity, perhaps, than than a guy like Jalen. Um, and, and I don't mean that as a criticism. I think that's just merely their age. I think they're unbelievably, you know, uh, mature for their ages. But given what's being asked of him for the first time, I think Jason deserves some time to kind of get into that role you know, and fall into that. And I think he'll, he's, he's making that adjustment and doing quite well with it. Is it going to be perfect? No, but you know, he's a 22 year old for God's sakes uh, with, you know, the boss and Celtics on his back and really not ever having been in that position as a, as a pro. So I, he, he'll get there. It's just, it's going to take time. And, um, well, I literally yeah. just said we weren't going to talk about Tatum, and then we went right we into go. Tatum, which is hilarious. But let me I'm ask sorry. you this as we close out the show, because this is my thing. You know, you got there. there's just storied competitiveness, trust the process, tandem of young players in Philly. Now Doc's there. Doc didn't want to work with young players. Now all of a sudden he's <laughs> he's trying to lift, trust the process to another level, and yet here they are starting out leading the leading the conference with a 7-1 record. Are you surprised? Um, I think that that's I think that they're the group that's probably the easiest to 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 step into, honestly. Um, you know, they added some pieces with yeah, but with there's Steph continuity. Yep, they match the his down. They're a highly defensive team. Doc yep. loves to run it slow. The one thing I told a buddy of mine, because you know, obviously I live here in Pennsylvania, so there's lots of 76ers fans. I said, I'm not watching the games. I'm surprised they didn't sign Avery Bradley. But, <laughs> but, but is if they're running lots of cutters and taking advantage of Ben Simmons' size, it wouldn't surprise me because you should see a slowed down, slightly inverted offense, which Ben automatically sort of gives them in a way. And doesn't matter if they don't really convert some of the pick and roll and cutting. That's pretty much the whole offense for him. And then he needs a big. To make the cuts effective, he needs a big who can shoot from outside that can also, you know, defend inside and slow the game down and play defense. I think it's, I think the roster construction 
is is a perfect match for how Doc likes to run his offense and defense and generally his team overall and what lends to their success. I think the the roster they had and the way that Doc would want them to do it, or way that Doc would like to implement his system, are a perfect match. I really do. So I'm not surprised. I do think teams will adjust, but I think this was a huge good hire for them. To be honest with you, I'm not trying to throw like lots of praise to a team I don't like, um, and I know it's a coach I'm okay with that you don't like, um, you know. But I, if I'm being really impartial, you know, the more I thought about this, and I think we both kind of crapped on them in the preseason. I think that was a little premature on my part, and and not just the record, just people asking me about the team. You know, I wasn't really thinking about them, and the more I thought about and started to remember the way that Doc ran things in Boston, and the more I started to think about the way that their team is constructed, I thought, you know what? This is a perfect match. Like, they might, I don't know that I would have thought they would be 7-1, and I don't know that I think they'll be atop the Eastern Conference by the end of the season, but I, the more I think about it, it really shouldn't be a surprise that they're having success, especially early on, because there's alignment there. Well, I think the, the Curry edition helps things to fall into place. You know, in a way that they yeah, weren't, hadn't been able to. Absolutely. I mean, they, yeah. that's, they, he's unlocked, Doc's unlocked Tobias Harris. And by adding Curry, they get back that, that threat that they had from the outside when JJ Reddick was there. So they're, they're now able to kind of fall into that. Shake Milton has, has found a real role with that group. And so now they lost tonight to Brooklyn without KD and, and Kyrie. Which is a whole nother story. I don't even want to get into Dude, right now, but we got to bring that up next show because it's hilarious. Based on I mean, we well, we'll probably that, should now because that, that overperformed but... last season. Gonna think, and then here we are, man. It's just setting that up for the nightmare we love. I, I <laughs> win without let's them. Just, Can't let's, with them. Can't stop. win without them. <laughs> <laughs> let's stop with the Sixers and we'll move on with with to Brooklyn just to wrap. But. I think I understand why they did well out of the gate. I'm not concerned about playing the Sixers in the playoffs at all. Um, I, I welcome that that matchup by the time we get Kemba back. I, I just don't think that they're that deep. Um, dealing with Embiid will no, be a problem. I think, I think that's favorable but for us. Yeah, I think we're okay. Especially well, let's if, talk if Rob Williams yeah. continues to to you sure know, to play up. Um, yeah, I think yep. that creates – it doesn't neutralize, but it mitigates some of the Embiid effect. But, yeah, so let's do the Brooklyn thing, Brooklyn. and then we close out the show. <laughs> ten less, ten minutes or less. Um, I love it. I love it. Everything is playing out under that narrative, right? All the upstart young guys have already thrived, did last year, did the year before. I think Dinwiddie is injured. But, you know, you just have all these guys that – that have stepped up and overperformed all these years. It's at some point, you know, when you look at their record, you know, and we know the finger pointing could come at the same time, they're winning games with their stars out. It's going to create such a locker room dynamic. Um, if they can't win with KD and, and Kyrie, because it's going to, it's going to leave Kyrie to do nothing except what he already knows how to do best, which is point the mother finger. Right. So and and and, and they're not going to be buying it, dude. He's going to. So where have we seen this before? 
Oh, yeah. Where have we seen this movie before? Yeah, scary Kyrie Stark. Jalen Brown. Win, oh, yeah, dude. Right. You win the games when, when Kyrie's out, and then when he comes back, it's weird and disjointed. And, um, so Kyrie didn't play tonight due to personal reasons. Um, he needed a mental health day, he said. Yeah, and look, I, I don't, I don't, I don't no, really no, no, care dude. about that. Take your mental, I, I don't either, but take it when KD's on the court, dumbass. Or, or, well, you know, the COVID thing, but how about tell your head coach? <laughs> I mean, Steve no, Nash, no, 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 that's no. my point. Like, don't do it last yeah. minute and wait for KD to be healthy. If oh. you need a mental health day, you don't legitimately need to take it today. Right. Take it right. when KD's able to play, you idiot. If are you saying, well, we're not going to beat we're not going to beat Philly anyway, so I'm going to rest tonight and I'm going to play the, the second half of the back to back. I mean, that just seems it would be even uh, better if they lose the second half of the back to back after winning the front half of it with not having. Yeah. Can you imagine if they lose to Memphis after that, and that would be uh, it. Carry uh, plays. People would start talking. I think. But no. um, Dude, it's not like they're not in a high-profile market. That's the other thing I didn't understand. Like you, you slinky into the shadows, mf'er. Why are you going to the biggest market with the biggest chip with the least amount of success, right? And 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 also <laughs> like bad blood between the team you're leaving and the team you're going to. You have to win. He's. We've said this before in the last couple of shows. He's pigeonholed himself into a position that will almost assure his destruction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, <laughs> he, he uh, but we saw this coming. You know, we saw. Oh, that yeah, we did. Like I mean, we're admittedly, what are we, eight games in for them? Eight, nine games into the season for them. So. You know, it's not exactly like, yeah, eight games. No, nine games. Since tonight was nine. It's not exactly like we're, uh, it's crazy to be talking the way we are. But look, they look great. When they play to their ability, they're going to be great. You know, not having Durant for the last, you know, week or so has not been great. So, understandably, and then when, Grant, when Durant returns, they'll be good. Um, and they may win the conference. They may go to the finals for all that for all that matter. But this is we're already seeing the 2018 so 18, 19 Celtics. No, not 19. Yeah, 19. Um, we're seeing that this is the echoes of that are are loud and clear for anyone who followed what what's going on. And you know, I, I want him to be healthy. I want him to be happy. I want all you know. I, I don't want anybody to be going through mental health problems and all that. But um, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's yeah, it, it really is unbelievable, and it looks like history is going to repeat itself. So, I guess we've got many games ahead of us to uh, to see how it all plays out there in Brooklyn. But I'll tell you. I'm not optimistic either, John. So we'll certainly see. And 
Always keeping an eye on some of those rivalry teams like Philly and Brooklyn. But you know what? We're just about on an hour. We've, we've really flushed this one out. We'll be back, I think, next week, and that's going to do it for this week's show. But as a reminder, you can support Celtic Stuff Live by following on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We'd certainly appreciate a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And uh, on behalf of John and myself, thanks for listening to this episode of Celtic Stuff Live. <laughs>